Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to As I Live and Grieve. Today we have two guests. Yes, it's like a BOGO. You know, you bring one, you get one. We have two guests today, and we're going to talk about a very intriguing perspective on grief to me. It's the shamanic perspective on grief. And joining me today is Patricia Jones and John Moyer. So hello and welcome to both of you. Hello. Patricia, would you start and just give our listeners a little bit of your background, please? And then I'll ask John to follow that. Yes, I would be happy to. And thank you so much, Kathy, for for having us on your podcast. We're very, very excited to be here. Um, I am a psychotherapist. I've been a psychotherapist for many, many years, um, 33 years to be exact. Um, And I've for many years specialized in working with children and teenagers and families. And now I have a private practice in East Aurora, New York, um, where I also see adults for therapy. What led me to this um, journey on providing services related to grief, really, as I look back, has a lot to do with my own grief journey. And sometimes in life, things happen, you don't, you don't anticipate where it's going to lead you in life. You think you're going to go one way, but you actually, you know, it's like the universe has something different in store for you and keeps nudging you along on a different path that you didn't even know existed. Very true. Yeah. But tragically, right at the time that my graduate studies career began, I had made a firm decision that I wanted to have my whole professional life focus on being a psychotherapist. At that juncture in my life, my sister, who was just a year and a half older than I, chose to end her own life in a very tragic, sudden way. And it launched me into this world of such grief that I never even knew existed. And when I think back to that time, even as I'm talking about it, I still get so emotional about it because that type of grief never ends. And I, I feel that that our grief journey, there's there's really no beginning because it begins the moment you come into the world and there really is no no ending to grief. And there's there's times of grief that are just so so intense that as humans, we have to learn how to manage that. So at the age of 27, you know, I was thrown into graduate studies, doing internships, practicing being a therapist, and having the most intense grief of my life. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at that, you know, at the time, I did not recognize, I think I was almost too young and, and too much shocked to recognize how that would shape not only my career, but how it shaped me as as a, a person. And over many twists and turns, you know, it brought me, my grief brought me to the shamanic path. And now it's bringing me to soulful sorrows and being able to really focus on working with people in the context of workshops 
and grief. Okay, thank you. Thank you. How about you, John? A little bit of your background. Um, keep To keep it short, and Patricia did a really nice job. Uh, I became a paramedic in the 1979, and, um, <clears throat> and I just retired uh, 2018, I think. It was probably one of the, well, it was the, the best job I've ever done. I've, I've always said I never worked a day in my life. Uh, you leave one family and you join a, another family for your shifts. It's, it's a major, for me, it was a major um, honing stone that just made me such a better person uh, going to other people's homes and, and seeing their stories unfold, you know, whatever it may be. Some of it's very tragic, other times domestics and, and so on. And uh, we do a lot of work in the homes trying to resuscitate people. And, uh, I really kind of, in, it's, it's kind of a dark way to say it, but enjoyed when we weren't successful to go and speak to them uh, about this loss. It's uh, an important part of the job that I really enjoyed. Anyways, my grief story kind of started as a, as a child. I'm not going to go through a lot of it, but I'll ex- express some of it as we go through some of the, of the podcast with you. Anyways, uh, my big, big grief, unlike uh, Patricia's, was the, the loss of my former wife and uh, the mother of my children suddenly in a, a car accident. That throws you into that really deep grief. Weller calls it a, uh, a rough initiation and where the bottom just drops out and it's a very otherworldly experience. And as we'll explain some more later, uh, just about how it's sort of like our, when our loved ones pass, as their last, their last gift to us is our grief. Yeah, I, it it will be interesting if I make it through this this thirty minutes without crying. I usually listen to books, audio books, because I'm in the car a lot, and it just works for me. And I'm listening to Weller's book right now. So what you just said really struck a chord with me. And for me, it's a very new perspective on grief, and. Uh, I've also, in a little bit of the research that I've done, the shamanic perspective seems to be kind of like grief is the gift that's going to bridge you from this loss to your new life, whatever shape that takes. I lost my husband a little over four years ago now. He had glioblastoma, which is a very aggressive form of cancer. I was his caretaker for eight months. So I went through that anticipatory grief and very naively assumed, okay, I'm getting all my grieving over now. And then after he died, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about all those eight months? <laughs> you know, Because I was just really thrown into this pit. And it just was very difficult. Now, I kind of feel like I have healed a lot and I have kind of come out of that. I've redefined my life. And I'm doing things that make me happy. Does that mean I have recovered from grief? No. Grief is still a very big part of my daily life. But I love this concept that grief is a gift. So I want to kind of pursue that a little bit. The shamanic perspective, well, first let me start with the very basics. Is shamanism a religion? Is it a practice or is it a belief? I'll take this one. I guess it, uh, it's no, it's it's uh, it's not a religion in in any way. It's a, um, a spiritual process. Archaeologists tell us it's been around for over forty thousand years. Uh, the shamanism that that we've learned is was uh, 
inspired through uh, Michael Harner, who was an archaeologist and, or an anthropologist, I should say. And uh, he's he started the uh, foundation for shamanic studies and, and sort of reconstituted all the the common practices that that he discovered around the world that was very similar and brought it down to just what we call core principles. So there, there's it's so it's like a knowledge system in a sense. Okay. You're learning all the skills uh, to do to connect with the the spirit world, and it's the spirit to do the healing. We just act as what they say, like a hollow bone to to bring this realm into the non-ordinary realm. Thank you. And I have read, uh, again, I do a little bit of research here and there. So without quoting sources, I read a paragraph that mentioned that your soul is in pieces, which was kind of, it just kind of blew my mind when I thought, wait a minute, I always think of my soul as one entity. And, you know, I keep thinking, all right, my soul is okay. All is well with my soul and certain things resonate. But is that correct that, in shamanism, the belief is that your soul is in pieces and it, you can recover pieces at a time as you heal. Yeah, Kathy, you're asking such astute questions. Thank you so much. Um, to It gives us the opportunity to explain what shamanism really, really is. So from the shamanic worldview, the, the belief is that that when we're born, our soul is intact, but that everybody goes through such trauma and loss in their life. And even even just like fright, like just like instantaneous, maybe you're in a car accident, you have that fright that comes upon you, everything's okay, but but you're still impacted by that. And during these times, as as a way for our soul to keep itself protected, there's portions of our soul that will flee in response to trauma and loss and fright and, and things that, that aren't consistent with the, your soul's energetic field. So one of the, the things that a shaman, shamanic practitioner is able to do in an indigenous village is people that practice shamanism day in and day out, they do this at the very beginning for for people in the village that when there's something traumatic that might happen to a village member, the next day they're seeing the shaman having what's called a soul retrieval where the shaman can become altered and journey into the spirit world to gain help in finding that soul portion and when it's ready to be able to help return it and have it be intact with the rest of the person's soul. So in that way, the trauma then becomes minimized and doesn't then take on a life of its own that might follow that person like it does in our society. Like trauma tends to follow people for the rest of their lives because nothing is, you know, it's really not attended to in that type of a very all-encompassing way. Okay. I really like this concept. John, you have something you want to add. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to mention, add to what uh, Patricia said, is that with each fragment that we, we lose, like this this part of the soul, it, it also we lose our, our life essence, you know, that, that vitality. And I think this is what helps to create that sense of amnesia. Uh, what was the other one? Yeah. Anesthesia. Anesthesia. Yeah, thank you. Yes, when they unattend but they don't attend to their grief. It just keeps piling up and, and they just, they're just always in a, 
a terrible place, right? They just see the world as a very dark place. Right. And a phrase that he used in his book, the anesthesia, I thought, yeah, because you do feel numb. Yet sometimes you just want to hang on to that numbness because you don't want to feel. You just don't want to. The whole concept of soul pieces, I love. I love this because instead of feeling sometimes when you go through a loss, now I can think I'm not losing my entire soul. I'm just losing a piece of it, a fragment of it. So, Patricia, you mentioned some um, a process or a ritual, I think you said, to go through to retrieve those pieces. Do those need to be done by a shamanic practitioner with you? Or is it something that a person can learn to do so that in future times they can help themselves? Oh, yeah, that's another wonderful question. Typically, a shamanic practitioner would do the work for the person. However, if you set out to become, you know, trained in being able to, to do shamanic work, you can definitely do so much of your own shamanic healing. And I would say the majority of people set out on the shamanic path really for their own personal healing as opposed to being able to heal others. and But being able to also promote healing for others is another thing that is a wonderful way of going about it. And to dispel in our listeners maybe some images that may be forming in their mind, when I first, or when I initially think about the word shamanic and break it down to shaman, shaman, my mind goes to Hollywood, it goes to movies, it goes to uh, Indian villages and, and tribal rituals and everything like that. And even sometimes is referred to as a witch doctor. Please destroy that image for me uh, by telling me what maybe do some of these rituals look like? What parts, what treatments, what therapies, what modalities might be included in a modern day shamanic ritual. John, I'll let you take this one, but I guess I just want to say one one thing before before you do. When you think about the term witch doctor, if you translate that into something really, really positive, then you won't have such a negative view because you know people will call me witches all the time. <laughs> and I take it as a compliment. And so many people from who you know, are from other parts of the world who will come to see me for shamanic healing sessions, they'll say, oh, you're such a witch. And I mean it with the utmost respect, compliments. So now I just have a totally connotation of that. Of that right. Yeah. Well, there are green witches as opposed to black witches, I discovered. But the general knowledge is not does not go that way so thanks for that john would you like to elaborate yeah i mean like uh people are um i've heard referred to as medicine woman medicine men right i've heard uh sorcerers <laughs> all sorts of different names even even shaman is, is kind of a it's not every medicine person uh, traditionally was called a shaman that's a name that, that came from a uh, Northern Russia just means one who sees in the dark. So that's because the, the shaman would uh, in would go into a long uh, catatonic state for until he got the information or she got the information and would bring it back. 
But there's, uh, I think in the history of uh, some of the readings I've done, it's more often been a woman than a man. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so the matriarchal uh, societies back in the day, a lot would have been the medicine women or or the uh, plant herbalists. Okay. You know, they'd be out collecting the different uh, medicines that then they would uh, give to uh, members of their community. Okay. Um, but the, the rituals them, themselves, uh, there's not like a, a, a lot to see. There's not a lot of fireworks. Or there's, it's, it's very quiet. It's, it's very intimate okay. is the word I'm thinking of. And, and, and typically what we do for any kind of work when we first begin, even in, in our, our workshops, is you form a, a sacred space, a, a, um, a sacred circle. And uh, there's, you know, some some different aspects of that that is is common to shaman, you know, like the smudging. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church got it from somewhere and they probably adapted it from those early shamanic practices and uh, in the, uh, the small communities. And we, we use rattles, we use uh, uh, medicine drums, and we typically call in our benevolent and loving helping spirits okay. uh, to be present. Uh, we'll call in our ancestrals. Uh, energy to be be with us and typically you you don't see a lot but you will feel something change in the room you know there's a, a not a, a heaviness you just you just feel different you, you feel for me sometimes I get a little weepy or or I feel a lot of joy it's just it's a quite a neat experience the uh, uh, and the the people uh, who go through that will will tell you that that's com that's shared pretty much common with anybody that's been in the room where a shamanic healing has taken place. You just may be held so uh, lovingly by an ancestral spirit that you just feel that you're home. Yeah. And the, the ritual, the rituals that are used are really intended to connect with the spirit world. Um, and that's why the sage burning or the sweet grass burning or the the drum, the sacred drum is used to call in spirits. Spirits are very attracted to these these methods so that shamanic practitioners and in our workshops, we're, we do this so that then, and we make it very clear that we're asking for the compassionate, benevolent ancestor guides, spirit guides, power animals to come and join us to be here to witness and help with with the healing of the circle and it's it's indescribable like john was saying how that energy shifts not only in the room but amongst everybody in the room it it becomes so palpable in terms of the connection immediate that people begin forming with one another and the circle becomes a very special sacred space of healing. And there's no denying that when you're in that room and you can, you can feel that. Can these uh, soul retrieval processes be done one-on-one, say with someone like you, Patricia, or you, John, uh, one-on-one with someone to guide you, someone who is knowing of, of the process and everything for example, uh, you know, if I were to say, I, I'm not comfortable in a group, but can you help me? Yes, absolutely. No, our shamanic healing sessions that we do one-on-one are separate from our workshops. So in our workshops, we, we act as shamanic practitioners, but we're 
conducting a soulful grief healing workshop that uses a lot of different um, methods in which to promote the healing, but it's not a shamanic healing session that we would do with just one person. And sometimes one person will come for the healing, but they want support of their family, so they'll bring their family along. But typically it's just a shamanic practitioner and, and one person to do those, those specific healings for that specific person's issues. And because we have listeners around the world, John, can these sessions be done virtually? Oh, they do. <clears throat> and they, uh, there's a lot of um, the foundation is, uh, teaches uh, shamanic uh, skills uh, over Zoom, for example. Really? You still have two senses, right? So you have hearing and you have your vision and you, you can participate in a, in a circle uh, and receive healing that way. I, I love doing... Um, depossessions and uh it's such a wonderful way to connect with people and it works so clearly um but yeah so it's 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 uh, works anywhere did you say depossessions uh yeah what is that it's it's removing uh energy that just doesn't belong to the individual okay and that in and that that energy comes from typically other like other humans and there's yeah there's, there's a long story to it. Uh, when people pass, some just don't cross over and continue on with their journey to their, their destiny. And so these are incarnate spirits. Just, they need to go somewhere because they're like in, in a void. So they have to attach to something. It might be a rock, a, a house, certainly to a person. Sometimes these uh, entities will provide a, so like a, an influence on an individual. So if you are a smoker who likes occasional cigarette and the, the entity was a big smoker in their lifetime, then that influence might be all of a sudden that person starts smoking a lot more, but they don't really know why. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That opens up a whole nother realm of questions for me. Um, how would somebody know that they need this ritual? Typically what happens, Kathy, is that uh, somebody wants uh, an individual healing is that they, you know, they get in contact with any person who has a shamanic practice. And typically we do uh, diagnostic journeys before we, you know, we say, okay, let's, uh, sure, let's talk in, in a couple of days or in next week kind of thing. And uh, we'd do a journey to meet their spirits or our spirit guides okay. uh, to see what they want done. Oh, okay. And then because it's, it's not us that do the actual healing as I said, it's, but we, we manifest that, that healing, if that's the right word, um, to take place. So we have a foot in this door and a foot in the spirit world. It's remarkable work. It's very complicated because the majority of people in our society aren't even aware of, of this idea that they could have a spirit entity attached to them. And they tend to just feel not themselves. They may end up going into a depression. They feel really anxious. All of a sudden, they might have developed some sort of an addiction. And again, like in the shamanic world, people would be like, oh, I think I might have an attachment. I need to go see the shamanic practitioner. However, in our modern day society, right, we don't know any of this. No, we don't. And we are always pointing our fingers elsewhere. So I must ask, 
my toddler question. And I always say in every episode, I, I ask a toddler question because it is based in true innocence. Yet it's something I think everybody wants to know. Do these rituals hurt? Oh, that's an awesome question. And thank you so much because we wouldn't have thought to answer it otherwise. Absolutely no, not not at all on any level because there's in terms of physical pain, obviously there's there's nothing that would promote physical pain through any of these practices. Sometimes in a in an individual shamanic session, there will be some touching, but it includes like maybe blowing power animal into somebody's head or into someone's abdomen. So nothing that would cause pain. There's a definite emotional process now. So it's very common that you would see the shaman in tears and also the, the client in tears. But that emotional process is more about healing than it is about provoking any type of pain. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's my it's my experience that once you deal with and allow those emotions to kind of come forth in your system, it's almost like a purging. And even though it's it's an emotional pain at the time, and sometimes it can feel like a physical pain as well. But once you get through that, it's been like there's this, been this clearing. So is that accurate? And I know, John, you had something you wanted to add. See, the reason why, Patricia, and I found that this is shamanism and, and working with people w- with grief uh, works so well is because it's it's the soul that is involved. And that's the level that, that, that we work on. And what I like so much about Weller, he was the first person that I came across that spoke using terms that uh, soulful language. Uh, the alchemy of the soul, and the, I really liked that. It resonated with me, and, and so it's a, it's not a healing per se that people, when you have your grief, especially the deep grief, it's a discovery of what your soul is trying to tell you that it needs to express now. This deep experience, a transformative uh, experience of having a, a loved one pass so suddenly. And, uh, you know, we're connected energetically, like, you know, like cords, attachments, all sorts of things go on that the soul is just aching. It needs to express itself. And so uh, what we try to um, do through our our work is is create a transformation within the individual by all of a sudden recognizing that uh, it's not up here in, in the brain or in their head. It's all taking place in the heart. And, uh, and so we have to work at a heart level to help people realize uh, what the soul wants to do. It wants to live its purpose. It wants to live a big life, not a tiny life. And when we carry our grief around so much, it makes us small. When we don't share our grief, it makes us small. And it doesn't give other people the opportunity to learn about their own grief. They live small lives. And so that the the heart just needs to to get this big expression out and through shamanic practices and and to get their power back you know because they've had this this big soul loss so they lost some of their life essence as well so we looked at it that we we want to one bring this this power back to them and and then take them through some 
some steps so they can recognize that it is a very soulful journey that they're on to rediscover what is really wake, waiting for them. And that's why we, we think that grief really is, it's a, a gift. Now, we would like to try and see it transformed from this big, deep experience by having people, teaching people how to tend to their grief in a healthy way and, uh, and then slowly move it from this deep pain because now they're getting their power back into it's like a just a, a lovely melancholy kind of thing. I I certainly don't want to get rid of that because it reminds me of a love that I had that was very important. But for some people, it may not be a person. It might be animals. It might be the planet uh, or ancestral. It's not that we people will heal from their grief, and nor do they just push through it. That's the pushing through means I'm just going to push it down into the the deepest part, right? Right. John, I love, love, love what you have just said. I, I, and I'm going to play it back numerous times, I can tell right now, because your words were so eloquent and told me just what I needed to hear today at this moment. So thank you for that. I fear that our time is up. I, and I'm definitely going to invite the two of you back because I'm sure our listeners are going to want to know more. This is so intriguing to me. I'm going to continue to read Weller's book as well. So I'll probably have dozens more questions for the next time. But at this point, I want to, as we start to wrap up our session, I want to offer each of you a moment to speak directly to our listeners without my questions leading the way and just let them know what you can offer them as far as services, as far as website, anything you want to tell them directly. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. Thank you, Kathy. Our website is soulfulsorrows.com and you can go on the website and you can schedule a, an individual shamanic service with either John or myself, or if you want the both of us, you can schedule that as well. And, and like we had said, we do do those virtually at, at this point in time. So you can be anywhere and we can provide that for you. We have a workshop being planned that'll be happening again here, right here in East Aurora, New York. It's in Western New York. Um, we don't have the date set at this point, but it'll be sometime in the fall. And we're also looking to schedule a fall workshop in the greater Toronto area. And if you come on our website, again, soulfulsorrows.com, you can sign up for our newsletter and you'll get notices as to when and where those workshops will be. Thank you. Your turn, John. <laughs> yeah, on our website, we, we, we have four pillars that um, we kind of have um, formulated our workshops from. And it's uh, uh, grief resilient, shamanic wisdom, uh, witnessing, and the cultivating reverence. And that's what we have a number of different exercises to help introduce those concepts to our workshop participants. And uh, so we've had our first one. Uh, it really went well. We have a grief altar. People come and bring their, their whatever things of endearment that they, they have that place on the altar to help them focus. And then we have some rituals. We have some different ceremonies. Um, what else? And then we, we have a, a like follow-up about a month later, like a Zoom session with everybody, just to see if they have any questions or they weren't looking for some clarity. And uh, and then uh, we also are, are looking at expanding that now to have uh, just grief circles 
once a month. That uh, will be uh, the fine when they, we get that launched. That'll be done by Zoom. Very interesting. So many things to think of and it prompts so many questions. So I encourage our listeners to take a second listen because I think you're going to hear more the second time than you heard the first time. We talk about self-care all the time, and I can't think of a better way to take care of yourself than to do something about the pain you're feeling. And you might consider looking into their website, soulfulsorrows.com. That information will be in the show notes, in the episode notes, and it'll also be on our website. We will have their contact information. So everybody, everybody out there, there's absolutely no reason on this earth that you can't do something about the pain you're feeling. Consider that anesthesia for a little bit. That numbness, that's it. Consider Weller's book. There's just so much to discover in the shamanic perspectives of grief. So take care of yourselves, and we will catch you next week, I hope, as we all continue to live in grief. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, or do you have a question from one of our episodes? please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.